We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Bills make me wanna. I gotta be honest, he's uh, he's pretty good. I'm not a big fan of rookies. Smart. He has to learn, of course. He throws some passes that probably shouldn't have been thrown. But other than that, he has a strong arm. He's very intelligent. Uh, he's too smart. I tell him sometimes, we have conversations, hey, man, easy. This is not like an exam. Just talk to me. You can say yo. You can say what's up. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rockpile Report podcast. I am your host, Buffalo Bills season ticket over Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Kruger, and that was LaShawn McCoy from NFL Network talking about rookie quarterback Josh Allen. I love it. How many more of those are we going to have throughout the next 10 (laughs) years that we do this show? Oh, the intro? It's about Josh Allen. You're welcome. (laughs) Oh, my God. Woo, folks. Guys, I, I, I don't know what more I can say. I mean, first and foremost, before anything else, Ladies and gentlemen, raise your coffee, your water, your beer, whatever it is you have in your hand or next to you, and I want you to join us here for a toast. Today, June 20th, 2018, marks exactly three years to the day since Chris and I first sat down in front of microphones and attempted to record this big, dumb podcast. At your uh, original apartment in Depew. I mean, we were literally down the street from a police station Sirens and, every night. And a fire station. <laughs> Sirens every podcast. Oh, my God. If you had told me that afternoon that if I kept working at what we were doing, I was going to get to sit in the press box at New Era Field making small talk with Chris Brown, that I was going to get to interview Kyle Williams at the 50-yard line of the stadium, or that I'd have the chance to be on broadcast television talking about the Buffalo Bills, albeit alongside of a host who looked a lot like the love child of John C. Riley in a mid-2000s Kirstie Alley. Or that I would get to meet so many incredible writers, broadcasters, content producers, and just passionate Bills fans. If you, if you had told me any of that, I would have asked if you were trying to impersonate the guy from Airplane 
who is sniffing all the glue in the control tower. If any, if, if between you and me, I would have put it you to bow out of this podcast first. I thought at least by the end of the first season, you know, oh, we're not making traction, where nobody's listening to us. I'm out. Chris, do you remember the how excited we got the first time we hit 50 downloads? 50. I probably went in the bathroom and let a nut out. Uh, 50 downloads was a high watermark. And when we hit 100, and then the following week, the first time we hit consecutive 100 download podcasts, I felt like a little kid on Christmas. I mean, I, I couldn't, I was excited. I kept checking the numbers. Like, this can't be happening. 100 people want to listen to my dumb ass talk about football. Now, fast forward to today. We're in the off season where there's nothing going on. And we're still averaging 538 downloads per show. I mean, it's crazy how much all of you out there seem to enjoy listening to us. So thank you all for all of your support, your following, the insults. Guys, cheers to you. Uh, you guys are the reason we do this. And don't forget, review us on iTunes, all right, so that other people can find the show. Feel free to leave whatever comments you like, even if it's just to bash us for uh, my verbal crutches or crooked teeth, or the fact that Chris still believes that Derek Carr is an elite quarterback. He is. He is. <laughs> he is. Oh. So, folks, as we kind of talked about in the last week's show, I am now a married man. Yeah, you're... Uh, Wearing you the ring yeah, right you, now. You look weighed down right now. I look weighed down. <laughs> you look weighed down with that. Shitty ring. Guys, my wedding couldn't have gone better. Everything went off without a hitch. I mean, just to run you oh, through. What are you talking about? <laughs> they went off without a hitch. Just to run you there through. There were too many people at my table. <laughs> they tried to give me a steak when I ordered a salmon. Those all sound like you problems, not me problems. So I don't give a shit, Chris. I had a fantastic time. Just want to give you a rundown of the highlights and lowlights. First of all, from the top. Thank you. A huge shout out to the Harbor Center Marriott for the hookup. I got in late with a request for a hotel room. Just booked a standard room and reached out to the hotel and said, look, I really need a suite. I don't know what you can do for me. I, I, the website says there's none available, but Priceline has them for $400 a night. What can you do? They for free upgraded me to the junior presidential suite, the nicest room in the entire. But Chris, you were in the room. Is that not one of the nicest hotel rooms you've ever set foot in? It's got good views. It's amazing views. It had its own private living room that's bigger than your current kitchen. Yeah, sure. I like <laughs> the views. I oh can't give God. a shit about the room. I'll tell you everything. They, they made my night. The bartenders there are amazing. Everything was perfect. Then the weather held. There was no rain. There was no beating sun to make us all sweat through our tuxedos. You're Every not Wait, you're not going to let our listeners know that uh, the, the front desk called you Friday night, told you to turn down James Brown. You're not going to let our listeners know about that. That's what happens when you comp me to Manhattans. I'm ordering top-shelf Manhattans because I don't want to drink that much. I'm thinking, okay, I don't need to be hungover for my wedding. Well, when you comp me my first two bullet rye Manhattans, I'm going to order a third one because I don't want you to think I'm a freeloader or a cheapskate, Okay. So, yes, at 1 o'clock in the morning, three Manhattans deep after drinking beer at the rehearsal dinner, yes, I went back to my room, maybe had another beer or five, and yes, the front desk did call and ask me to turn down James Brown. I was in my boxers and socks. It was like risky business up there, people. It was amazing. 
everybody had a great time. And I think one of the biggest highlights of it all, Doug Allen sang the national anthems and and an hour's worth of dinner music at my wedding. It was one of the most surreal experiences of my entire life. It was great. What Wait, what was Larissa surprised? Oh, she cried. She didn't cry at any point throughout the wedding because she's not a crier. That's why she and I get along. She's not an over-emotional female. Or, but, or you're not somebody to get emotional over. I mean, but at, she saw Doug Allen. Look at your face. She saw Doug Allen, and the waterworks hit. It was perfect. And then he hung out for like an hour, taking photos with people, signing autographs, kissing babies. It was amazing. As far as lowlights go, lowlights of my wedding. First and foremost, having to wrap all of Chris's fucking nickels. Hey, you deserve it. Chris was not joking when he said that my wedding gift was going to be $100 in nickels. 2,000 nickels. He put them in mason jars. He took the time to unwrap the nickels, put them in a different container, and then give them to me. So I had to rewrap them. Exactly. So technically, I got you $108. You're an (laughs) ass. You're an ass, sir. Also, Chris was also wearing a jacket that was two sizes too small for him, so he looks like Fat Boy Slim in almost every single photo. No, I kept putting, like, whenever <laughs> I wear whenever I wear a jacket, like, I feel like uh, like an old southern general, because I always put my hands, like, up on the jacket. <laughs> like, I took a picture with, with uh, Bill's long snapper, Reed Ferguson, and I, like, I couldn't help it. I, like, my hands were here. And like, I Folks, should, like it should be on on the face of Stone Mountain in Georgia. Watching Chris get his fo- get pictures done, like in a wedding setting, he is like Ricky Bobby in that he doesn't know what to do with his hands. It's hysterical to watch. I don't know, dude, my hands. And then my best man, my best man, ended the night. You know, here we are. I'm going around, you know, kind of you know, saying hello and thank you to everybody. I'm, you know, going table to table, just kind of getting some FaceTime with everybody who took time out of their lives to come and watch me get married. And all of a sudden, I turn around and I look on the dance floor. Now, my best man had his, his pants broke about halfway through the wedding. Instead of trying to fix him, he asked me if he could change into something else. And I said, sure, because whatever, at this point, it doesn't matter. I didn't realize that that meant that at 8.15 at night, he was going to be where he was going to be shoeless, sockless, out on the dance floor in swimming trunks and an undershirt. Oh, I will tell you, I did see, me, me and Reed watched the moment that he lost his dress shirt. Now, for, now for, our, our, for our older audience that are uh, Saturday Night Live buffs, if you go back to the Chris Farley, Patrick Swayze sketch as uh, the Chippendales dancers, there's a moment in the sketch where Chris Farley removes his shirt, puts it through his legs, and, you know, like, Goes back and forth on his crotch with it. I saw I saw your best man do that same move, but to other people. He wasn't doing it to himself. He put his shirt in between other people's legs and just went back and forth with it. I'm not, that's the moment he lost his shirt. Folks, my wedding was a ton of fun. I'm now a married man. I can honestly say thank God it's all behind me because I don't know I don't know that I ever want to have to do that again. It's like I told my wife, if you were the last woman I'll ever be with, because if this doesn't pan out, that's it. I'm not even dating anymore. It's just booze and dogs and football around the clock, and that's all I'll give a shit about. So with that, Chris, we are going to move on here to something you've been teasing all day. Uber stories with Chris Krueger, folks. All summer long, because really there's not a whole lot going on for the next six weeks. 
We're going to be talking about Chris's Uber stories. Apparently, the police are involved in this one. Dude, Saturday night was busy as hell. Now, if you can, I mean, Canal Side on Saturday night. Yep. Kerfuffle. Is there, how else can you explain kerfuffle to people that don't know what that is? It's a is? concert populated by hipsters. There's, even when it's, the type of people who even when it's 90 degrees outside will still find a way to wear skinny jeans, those are the types of people that populate these kind of concerts. Yeah, we had Matt and Kim, I don't know who that is, AWOL Nation, I only know them because, uh... One song, Sale. Yes, that they use on GR. What's his who produced who produced uh, Chopin the Bulldog? I have no idea. Tom Tom Sitch Tom Sitch did like some knockoff for when they had Sal Capaccio on. So it's it's like nine o'clock at night, and I'm at my apartment. I took a I've been doing it like all day, so I take a break, and I'm it's like almost ten o'clock, and I look at the app, and Buffalo is in a price surge. So I'm like, well, I better get back downtown. So I drive like fifteen minutes downtown. Pick somebody up from Kerfuffle, and they live in Niagara Falls. So I made a, a good chunk of change right there going to Niagara Falls. And I made sure that when I got to Niagara Falls and dropped these losers off, that I turned the app off so I can get drive back down to Buffalo. The minute I get into Buffalo, I turn my app back on, and I get pinged to pick somebody up at a bar. I go to the location. I am waiting. I'm waiting for somebody. I'm waiting for a woman. How about that? I'm waiting for a woman. And a bar, dude, a bar back comes out from the bar and goes, are you here to pick up so-and-so? Right there, that should tell me everything I need to know. <laughs> that a, ba- a bar back is... Identifying uh, these people. Yeah. Uh, and I, I literally, this is like the same cadence. I went, uh, yeah. Like, <laughs> I... I knew this was going to be bad, and he was like, she's going to be out in a minute. Just don't leave. Well, you know what? I want to. And not like a minute later, this woman comes out to my car. Same thing. Are you here to pick up so-and-so? This, ain't, this is not good. Yeah, the second person that works at this bar that is coming to tell me that another woman is coming and is going to get in my car. <laughs> Finally, I got three people at my the back seat of my car car the doors open and they're not arguing but they're having a discussion about this girl to get in my car so she finally agrees and gets in my car and is this is the most drunk i've ever seen anybody in my entire <laughs> life and you've hung out with me for how long yeah this <laughs> this woman was gone now typically because i've done it before where i've picked up the wrong person <laughs> I'm not kidding. I've because I pick somebody. I'll pick people up and I go. Are we going here? And I'll I re, I'll say the address. And generally, riders are like, "Yes, that's yeah, where we're sure, going. that sounds good." Because yeah. I'm drunk and anywhere is better than where I am right now. Exactly. And I got one woman who didn't say anything, and I was like, "Oh, guess we're, guess it's right." And then she's like telling me to go down like Delaware, and I'm like, "You're not my rider." <laughs> and then she was like, well, I'm getting out now. I'm like, all right, cool. Well, let me go back to Knights of Columbus and pick up the old broads that I was supposed to pick up. <laughs> this, she's drunk enough to, yeah, that's where we're going. So now i got to leave downtown Buffalo and head out to uh, Lancaster. 
<laughs> and this girl immediately passes out in my back seat. Now, I'm, I'm thinking two things on my way out to Lancaster. Number one is, this girl is going to throw up in my car at 11.15 at night, and my <laughs> night is over, because I have to go home and clean this shit out of my car. The second thing that I was thinking of was, when I get to the location, will she get out of my car? We make it to Lancaster, and I like turn around, and I don't, you know, I, I don't want to be rude, but I turn around and go, "All right, we're here," and she like she gets like that toddler head that's like trying not to fall asleep. She just like looks up, and then just head back down into her chest. I'm like, "Is this where you live?" And she like head up. She looks outside, and she goes, "Yeah." head back down, and I start just repeating questions to get her out of my car, and she's just passed out in the back seat of my car, and like five minutes go by, and I'm like, I'm just sitting, like, I'm sitting there. Because <laughs> Chris is I the have, most non-aggressive human being in the entire world. I don't want to, like, yell, you dumb bitch, get the hell out of my car. I don't oh, wanna, I absolutely would. I'd start I, laying on the horn. That's I'd, why you don't. I would set off my own car alarm and just sit there and wait for her to respond in a terrified fashion. And I would just start yelling, fire drill! Fire drill, get out! That's why you don't <laughs> That's why you don't Uber. So I'm sitting there, I'm like, what am I going to do now? And I'm just, I'm, she's on, like... She's not in like a neighborhood. She's off a side street, off of a, a main road. And I'm sitting there. I look to my left, and I see at the next street a Lancaster police car. <laughs> and I flash my brights. <laughs> you called the car, you narc. Yeah. Oh, you see, narc. They pull down the street. I get in my car and I go, yeah, I'm an Uber driver. Uh, this woman's so drunk, she won't get out of my car. And he's like, all right, let me pull around. So he pulls around and gets out, and he's able to get the girl out of the car. And, you know, she didn't get arrested or anything for, like, public intoxication. They just wanted to confirm that she lived at the address I was showing them. Well, listen, as somebody who's drunkenly walked into somebody else's apartment that looked a lot like theirs, I can tell you it happened. Well, I can it, understand why the police were trying to avoid all that. Well, it was a house, and... She, like, got out of my car and is, is somewhat alert, but she's leaning against my car like when Crispin Glover knocks out Tom Wilson in Back to the Future. <laughs> she's just, like, trying to hold up, like, trying to stay standing on the back of my car. And then I got another, and then, and then there's another cop car that joins in. Obviously, oh. nothing's, like, happening in Lancaster. So now I got, like, four police officers, you know, trying to, Check this girl's ID, if she even has it, and to make sure that she lives at the correct address. And everything works out, and she, go, she goes in, she goes into the house, and then, you know, I'm standing there with the four police officers, and they're asking me, you know, like, if this is worth it and everything. And I'm like, I, I, this, I mean, you have no idea how many people I'm going to tell this to. And so we're about to, I'm about to get in my car, go back downtown, and, you know, I got to thank the police officers for helping me out, and I'm, I'm standing there, and I go, guys, I, I really appreciate your help. Uh, good luck tonight uh, when you get that call later that there's been a stabbing at Yings. <laughs> Why would you say that? I mean, it's probably true. It is true. <laughs> it is true. Anybody that lives in Lancaster, New York, knows that somebody always gets shot or stabbed at Yings. Oh, 
Oh my so god. So I just wanted to let them know that I'm thinking of them Chris, when the, they get called there. Here's the real question after hearing this entire this entire debacle. Did she tip you? I wouldn't I don't oh. th- I don't think she called I don't think she called for the Uber. I think somebody took her phone, called for the Uber, because you don't tip <laughs> until after the trip. <laughs> she was so drunk, somebody else had to. But when she woke up or went in her stupor, she saw that and cleared it. You didn't get tipped? Oh, you are a sucker. Dude, I made 400 bucks over the weekend doing that. Yeah, well, you... Well worth f- it. I, I would pay all $400 not to deal with some hellaciously drunk woman in the back of my car. If she had vomited in front of the cops, I would have dumped her in the middle of the street, and that's where I would have left her. <laughs> oh, that, and this has been the first installment of Uber Stories with Chris, folks. Round of applause. What an idiot. All right, with that, we are going to kick off into this week's Bill's News Update. There appears to be a Josh Allen contract delay. In a tweet yesterday, the Associated Press's John Warrow stated that, per his contact, contract negotiations with newly drafted quarterback Josh Allen aren't, aren't really materializing as quickly as some people would have liked. Okay? Now, I understand, and, and people reacted with this, eh, varying levels of concern, but you know, it kind of where everyone fell on it is that, well, there's a lot of time between now and training camp. And are, there, are the other quarterbacks signed? And that's very true. Rosen has signed his deal. Now, okay, he was the ninth the, pick in the draft. He's the only one. Right now, Rosen is the only one of the top picks in the draft at quarterback to sign his deal. So, looking at that as a Bills fan, you know, I saw a couple headlines, I saw some tweets about it, and I just wanted to talk about it for a second. In doing my own research on the subject after I saw John Warrow's tweet, I came across an article from 2017 by Dan Graziano at ESPN. And he makes, I'm going to link it in the podcast description. Go check it out if you're, in, if you're interested, but I'll break it down for you. Essentially, he broke down what it was last year about Miles Garrett's contract versus Joey Bosa's contract the year prior. What, you remember when Joey Bosa was the big contract holdout of, the, you know, of his rookie draft class. I thought that had to do with like his guarantees and bonuses. Well, and that's the point, though. Even though there is a rookie wage scale in place that essentially dictates salary, there are a lot of things that go on behind the scenes that are going to kind of dictate how quickly guys get signed, you know, the different parameters of their contract. And he really broke it down in a way that's easy to understand for the common fan. Things I didn't know. Like, first and foremost, one of the most important things is payment structure and the timing of said payment. Okay? So, uh, just to... You're looking over his article. A lot of agents and first-round draft picks like to build the deal's annual salaries around roster bonuses, okay? which essentially keeps the base salary around the minimum levels. You know, we want roster bonuses, and that hey, we reported for we reported for these practices. We want his pay to kind of reflect that versus all of it being contingent on other things. I mean, here's a perfect example from his article. Chargers first-round pick Mike Williams. That was a hit. He was the number seven overall pick, hurt his back, didn't play. 
He was scheduled to make $1.36 million in 20... Like That's what he's scheduled to make in 2018. Of that figure, $807,000 of it gets paid out as a roster bonus that's fully guaranteed at signing, but doesn't actually hit his bank account until the fifth day of training camp. Okay? That's preferable because team-imposed fines are figured as a percentage of the base... Salary. So if he doesn't report, for whatever reason, he chooses not to report, he's not going to get hit with those fines until the money is in his account. And he can cover those things. There's all kinds of structuring of these payments that goes on behind the scenes that are it's really important to how these rookies get paid. I mean, that's essentially what it comes down to. I mean, you, you see the flat, we as fans see the flat dollar totals. We don't understand, these guys don't, it's not like they walk in and get a bi-weekly paycheck. I get paid on a weekly basis. Every Thursday, a check shows up on my desk. Same way. Okay? So, these guys don't get paid that way. And so, there's a lot of intense negotiation that goes on as far as establishing how and when these players are going to get paid. Because think about it. Once that's in place, that's in place for the length of their contract. Well, yeah, they only get paid during the season. Yeah, and then they get when you're here for like OTAs and stuff. You know, you get they give you a, a small bonus for being present at mm-hmm. OTAs, like a like a living expense. Yeah, type of paycheck, and that's it. And then there's also the facet of language built into the contract that could cause guaranteed money to be voided. Then that's a huge one that again we as fans don't think about. Here's an example that Graziano gives in his article. You look at Miles Garrett's contract, a copy of which ESPN obtained while reporting on this story, spells out a variety of ways the player can find himself in default and find that his guaranteed money is no longer guaranteed. These range from failed physicals to league-imposed drug suspensions and team-imposed fines. That right there should tell you everything you need to know. Yes, an agent and a player are going to try to fight against those types of clauses being built into the contract because obviously as an agent, your salary is tied to what you, what you make is a dividend of whatever the player gets paid. So you're going to fight to try to maximize his paydays and minimize any risk that he might lose money for any sort of circumstance. Whereas teams are looking to protect themselves to say, hey, if we draft you number one overall and in a year and a half, I don't know, um, if we take you in the first round and then a year from now, you're being accused of uh, Reuben Foster. <coughs> Domestic <coughs> violence. I don't know, beating up your girlfriend and having automatic weapons and drugs and all kinds of things. We reserve the right to void the rest of the guaranteed money that you are owed. Because we don't feel like we should be doing business with someone who subscribes to that type of behavior. Obviously, agents will push back against that to a certain extent. Now, with that being said, that is another area that you could fight against. I don't think it comes into play here so much with Allen, but it's again another thing to think about when it comes to all these unsigned contracts. And then it just comes down to maybe their agents are just busy. According to a spreadsheet which broke down all rookies in the 2018 draft class by representing agency that I, I personally obtained from sportsagentblog.com. 
Yes. I know what you're thinking. That is an actual website. His agency, Creative Artists Agency, likely has had their hands full. A quick review of the spreadsheet, which you can go to sportsagencyblog.com and download for yourself, shows that CAA represents not one, not two, but six of the top ten picks in this year's draft class. Even crazier is the fact that they represent 11 total first-round draft picks and 15 of the top 50 players taken, including fellow quarterback Sam Darnold, who was taken number three overall. Still unsigned. Still not signed. Now, it's possible that they're busy. It's possible that they're as an agency working to try to get them both, Sam Darnold and Josh Allen, similar contract terms. Without the guarantees. Without the voidable money. With the, I don't know, payment structure that's preferential to both, both players and their individual financial situations. Given the fact that he's attending practices, I, I mean, right now, given what they have on their plate, CAA, and the fact that given what both franchises, the Jets and the Bills, gave up to obtain both of those quarterbacks, there's no way that a contract doesn't get signed. There's no way it's not going to happen. In fact, one would argue that because of the trade up to get these quarterbacks, the leverage exists on the side of the agents negotiating the deals. I mean, Chris, is that a stretch? I don't think it's a stretch, but what that reminds me of is maybe that should be a Seagram's bet. Does Josh Allen get signed by training camp? Oh, my God. All right, well, give me a week to think about it. I'll say this. Given that he's already attended all the practices and he's doing all the right things, he's saying all the right things, he's trying to be there and trying to acclimate himself to the team, I think that it's safe to say that everybody can sit tight and kind of like, uh, what's his name? From Shaun of the Dead. Just head over to the Winchester, grab a pint, wait for the song. Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I've seen that movie. For once, a film you've seen. Uh, that was sarcasm, dickhead. Oh, you, you're a motherfucker. For as many times as I've seen Josh Allen compared to Jamarcus Russell because of his skill set, you know, cannon arm, you know, big, big stature in the pocket, but also a boomer bust prospect, I highly doubt we're going to see a contract similar, similar contract situation similar to what happened with him, where he didn't sign until the middle of September. Okay? Although, Chris, if it did happen, it would be a really, really billsy thing. Yeah, very true. And if that happened, I, I, even middle middle August, if he's not signed and he signs at the end of training camp or during the season, I don't want to. I do not want to see uh, Josh Allen on the field at all if he's holding out. Well, there's a lot of things I don't want to see, Chris. There's a lot of things I don't want to see. Full disclosure, everyone listening to this podcast. We just took a break. I know you don't know that because of the smart editing of my producer over here. While we were away, I decided to go to the bathroom. After dipping things in Duff's Armageddon sauce or death sauce or whatever you want to call it. No, I did not wash my hands. Everything sucks right now. I, it feels like I took the sun and tucked it into the front of my boxers. Chris, this is the goddamn worst. The sun taint. Ah, oh my God. Speaking of things we don't want to see, Chris, 
trying to keep trying to pick it up and just keep this podcast rolling. Yeah, I don't want to see you dip your nuts on my kitchen table in a bowl of milk. <laughs> That's what we don't want to see. You, I do. You guys won't see it. I don't want to see that. For those of you who don't know, after the Reaper Challenge that last October, that's a thing that happened. Oh my God, this hurts. Speaking of things nobody wants to see, apparently people didn't want to see sports betting. Sports betting was a thing that was frowned upon everywhere, except Vegas. But nationwide sports gambling is finally legal. And while according to Brian Mazarowski over on Twitter, you can follow him, New York State isn't diving in at this point. New Jersey is one of the first states to hit the ground running in terms of having active sports books. Now, obviously, being an NFL fan and a reformed gambler myself, I mean, guys, it was bad. I took, a, I took an online sports betting account with the tutelage of a friend of mine. We'll call him Dave Shushmaris. I... Under his tutelage, I took a sports betting account from $500, built it up to thousands of dollars, and then literally lost all of it on one ill-advised bet to beat, to, I essentially picked the defending Stanley Cup champion Anaheim Ducks to beat the Dallas Stars in round one of the playoffs. It's one round. It's one round of hockey. You have seven games. Why couldn't they get it done? They won a single game. They lost in five. I pissed away thousands and I never gambled on sports again. But with that in mind, I've always had that itch. And so I'm extremely interested to see how all of this plays out. Now, I was reading over the weekend a Sports Illustrated article by Connor Orr on this subject when a screenshot at the header of the article caught my attention. I'm going to tweet it out right after we're done recording. So if you want to see it for yourself, go ahead and check it out. I suggest you go look. It's a photo of a Monmouth Park area from New Jersey, a casino sports book, showing odds for each NFL team in winning the Super Bowl. Naturally, my eyes kind of scan it for the Buffalo Bills, and then for the Patriots to see where they lay. Oddly enough, this sports book wouldn't let you bet on the Patriots to win the Super Bowl, which I guess I can understand. Although, I would... Say that sports books have historically made out like bandits the last couple times the Patriots have lost the Super Bowl. Everyone always gets so cocky about Tom Brady winning that when he doesn't, it's great. It's a, the casinos just rake in the cash. The Bills are currently sitting at a hundred to one odds, according to this sports book, to win the Super Bowl. Now, before people jump to seeing that as some kind of an insult, I just realize that with even with an unsettled quarterback situation, a tough schedule, and us replacing two-thirds of the offensive line, we're still not the last team. We're actually ahead of the Bengals, who are 125-1 to to win the Super Bowl. They've never won a playoff game since, like, 1990. No! They haven't won shit! So why would... In fact, if anything, I would hold that against them more than anything else. Like, oh, you make the playoffs and then just proceed to blow it. Good job. So I guess when you take into account the warts the Bills roster has at this point in the season, with a lack of proven linebacker depth, the unsettled offensive line, a wide receiver core that has been called by some the worst in the NFL, we're actually tied in odds at this specific sports book with the Buccaneers, the Cardinals, the Dolphins, the Redskins, the Colts, and the Jets. 
When you look at that, things don't seem that bad. And that's when it caught my eye. The Browns are going off at 75 to 1. What? They've had one win in two seasons. You mean to tell me that a team that just traded for Tyrod, I can't throw to the middle of the field, Taylor? We passed on Nick Chubb to draft just the second cornerback to be drafted in the top five since Patrick Peterson in 2011, and the third since Terrence Newman in 2003. And we, the team that have more new quarterbacks on the roster than we have wins in the last two seasons, is somehow viewed as a more likely candidate to win a Super Bowl than all of those teams, including the Buffalo Bills? a universe where that was remotely possible it still wouldn't happen so who the hell is putting money on this has no one out there been paying attention to nate geary and what happens when you bet on the browns because this escaped everyone nationwide oh on the board right there at ehl landed and at sully six nine four two zero they both think browns get more wins than the bills this year they have a seagram's bet with us Nobody understands what happens when you bet for the Browns. You shotgun orange Seagrams and lose hundreds of dollars. That's what happens. And get diabetes. That's a, that's a fact. It just it caught my eye and it made me crazy. I don't understand the logic behind it. You mean to tell me that there's now sports books? It's not just our local media who foolishly bet on the Browns. There's sports books who are betting more heavily on the Browns than the Bills. When are people going to learn? I, it's too bad that there isn't a way to bet against teams in terms of the records. Now there is some Browns action I would absolutely jump on. Ultimately, it's going to be really easy, really easy to sit back, watch other states do this, because New York State isn't getting it anytime soon. But it's going to be really interesting to watch and see what each of these sports books start to offer in terms of betting. I mean, there's already talk of the NFL eventually offering their own in-game prop bets and setting up sports books near or even on stadium property. Imagine all the fun Bills-related bets we could make in the middle of a game. Chris, how many interceptions for touchdowns will Nathan Peterman throw this game? Uh, will anyone be streaking? And if they do, what quarter will it happen in? 100 bucks and three Seagrams that he throws one INT for a touchdown. And do the Bills forget to pick up the ball on a kickoff that results in a touchdown? Chris, your personal favorite. Uh, yeah, that won't happen because we got rid of Gillisley. <laughs> People, what a time to be alive. Sports <laughs> And it's an imperfect science at best. It's going to be great. There's going to be some hilariously bad bets made. I can't wait to just sit back and watch it all unfold. Now, as we move on to things that we've watched unfold, OTAs and minicamp are over. You know, I really kind of tried not to talk. I mean, we talked a little bit with Reed last week about Two OTAs weeks ago. And, two weeks ago. Jesus. See, I'm still not used to this every other week thing. Well, before you know it, we're going to be back to weekly. <laughs> I know. It's, it's right around the corner. So when you think about OTAs in minicamp, I try not to make too much of them because really they're not, there's nothing happening. 
Now, I feel, and honestly, in a way, I feel bad. And I can thank John Warrow for this. I had lunch with the guy last summer after training camp at uh, Pittsburgh Pub. We sat down, we ordered lunch, we started drinking together. Started shooting the shit, and I just kind of asked him, you know, what, what is it you think about the the jur- local journalism landscape, what is it you, what do you take away from these practices? He laughed at me because I was dumb enough to stick around for Leslie Frazier's entire press conference. Because in his words, what is Leslie going to say that any coach anywhere in the NFL isn't saying right now? You could almost write it for him. And he's right. So in a way, I feel bad for all these reporters and all of these guys who make their careers off of having to tweet out Every play that's going on at, at uh, minicamp. And every, oh man, this guy, oh my God, Kelvin Benjamin is taking snaps during a quarterback drill. Who gives a fuck? It doesn't matter. In fact, if, if, but I understand why it's necessary. Because this is how you earn your paycheck. You are providing coverage of a sports team that people pay attention to. And your employer, whoever it may be, is asking you to do it. I have the luxury of not having to do that. So with that said, I kind of want to take a retrospective view of OTAs and minicamps so we can really break down what happened, what our takeaways were, and where we're looking forward. First and foremost, it starts with rookies and second-year players. That's right, Josh Allen. Amazing. I mean, literally, this is what it comes down to for me. This isn't meant to be a slight, but OTAs isn't really about established players on an NFL roster. I don't need to hear about how LaShawn McCoy looks like the fastest guy in the field or that Kyle Williams has some extra hustle to him. I don't, because I know what that guy is. I know what he brings to the table because he's been doing it for almost a decade. In reality, to me personally, I think it's about seeing how second-year players have progressed and forgetting an idea as to what skill sets recently acquired rookies are bringing to the table. To that end, there's been some points of interest that I think are noteworthy. First, with White, with Trey White, Davis, Hyde, and Poyer pretty much representing known commodities on our defense, the only battle come training camp in that secondary is going to be between cornerback Phillip Gaines and rookie draft pick Teron Johnson. They're going to be duking it out over who gets to play the nickel corner role. By all reports, Johnson showed really well. He got, and he's been getting looks with the starting defense ever since the start of OTAs. I think this battle is going to be one of the biggest of training camp, even if it isn't getting a lot of press right now. Last season, the Bills switched to playing more nickel defense, and that's what keyed the defensive turnaround. Everyone remembers the epic slide in the middle of that season that I myself saw I saw myself on the edge of the abyss where I was in that uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick season where we were 5-2 and two and then literally just cliff-dived to a concrete floor. <laughs> I remember that. We shut out the Redskins on uh, the day before Halloween. Yep. And I was the only one to show up at the bar in a costume. I wore, uh, I rolled up my, I wore gym shorts. And I rolled them up all the way. I put on a banana costume. So with the banana costume, it looked like I had no pants on. And I just threw on my T.O. jersey and walked around the bar. And hundreds of people showed up. No one dressed up but me. 
<laughs> so I feel like a, I feel like a jacket. I'm only, I'm wearing a to jersey. Well, Chris, you are and a, a banana suit. You and are. And it don't look like I got pants on. <laughs> Ultimately, I, what it comes down to is this: I think that with this right here, this position battle, it's going to be huge. That slide almost killed us. And then our defensive coordinators made a switch, and they said, "Okay, fuck it. We're going to a nickel base." We're going to play a shitload of nickel. We don't give a fuck what you want to do. We're going to run nickel, and we're going to stop the run. We're just going to play better. And we did it. And we we responded after that three-game slide. We went into Kansas City and pulled out a win against the Kansas City Chiefs. We shut them out in the first half. I mean, it's the first time that's happened to them in years. So to that point, the nickel cornerback position sees a ton of playing time in a Sean McDermott defense. So given that, it's going to be important who wins that job. Now, speaking of Kansas City, that's where our current veteran incumbent, Philip Gaines, came from. And if you peruse any of the you know, Arrowhead Pride, the SB Nation blog, you look at any of the Chiefs fan sites, they were more than happy to see Philip Gaines get the fuck out of Dodge. So that doesn't make me, I don't know, it doesn't endear him to me at all. And with that, I'm looking at the rookie saying, hey man, you need, we don't need that kind of pain here in Buffalo next season. What we need is somebody who can step into that role and perform. It'll be interesting to see come training camp if Johnson can really separate himself from Gaines and relegate Gaines to a depth player, which is what happened to him in Kansas City. Another interesting note. The performance of wide receivers Ray Ray McLeod and Austin Prowell, the 6th and 7th round selections for the Buffalo Bills this last season. I called both of the selections essentially throwaways, considering that there were other wide receivers with more size and more boundary talent available, like uh, Florida State University's Auden Tate or Notre Dame's Equianimous State uh, St. Brown. Even with McLeod's abilities as a returner, I wasn't expecting much from either one of these players. Uh, not even just for this team, but just as pros. Dude, you know you were hating on this because you had to drink Seagram's because you drafted both of them. That's why you're hating on this. Yes, yes. I'm just looking at the fact that <laughs> I'm pleasantly surprised that they've been brought up multiple times by members of the local media over the course of training camp, or, or at least over the course of the mini camp. Comments made about McLeod's open field elusiveness and that Pearl's route running looked far ahead of where they thought he would be at this point. Considering how I felt about them post-draft, that's a significant step in the right direction. I, this is now a thing I'm genuinely interested in watching, you know, their development as we head into training camp. And then in terms of second-year players, it seems like there's a pair of undrafted free agents in Brandon Riley, who was a fan favorite after a really strong 2017 preseason, and in-season addition Malachi Dupree at wide receiver, who, because of the injury to Zay Jones, saw significant snaps with the first and second team offense that maybe they wouldn't have gotten. This speaks to the coaches clearly believing that they've progressed enough as players to warrant a look. I mean, you don't see Kalen Clay getting talked about. You don't hear anything about Rod Streeter. They're looking to these young guys because they're saying, look, we, these guys are known commodities. We want to see what you have 
And we think that you might be able to do this. Yeah, because you're cheaper. Not just cheaper, but the fact that they're also both over six feet tall. They both have good hands. I mean, they were essentially possession receivers in college. Now the question is, can they progress into every down receivers? They're not just a guy who can go in there and challenge in the box, but can Brandon Riley or Malachi Dupree go out there and challenge for a job? Kind of like a Chris Hogan. Can you just go out there and run the routes you're asked to run, get open, catch the ball when it's thrown to you? Because if you can do that, you could you can survive at the NFL level. On the defensive side of the ball, two names from last season were hurt a lot. Former undrafted free agent defensive end Eddie Yarbrough, guy seems to have improved as a player in the eyes of the coaching staff. I mean, that's essentially what this all comes down to, is seeing what the staff thinks of these young guys. They moved him from backup left defensive end to backup right defensive end for most of the practices. I mean, Trent Murphy is still out rehabbing that torn ACL. But it's notable considering that right defensive end is that's considered the primary pass rusher for most NFL 4-3 defenses. So given the fact that he wasn't drafted and the fact that we have another defensive end who was a first-round draft pick in Shaq Lawson and a three-year veteran in uh, Odegaard, <laughs> whatever the hell that guy's last name is, at that position, it signals that the staff thinks that Yarbrough is taking a step forward. And he deserves to back up uh, Jerry Hughes on the right side of the defensive line. That's incredible. That's incredible that a guy could go from newcomer who I interviewed at training camp and literally have quoted as saying, he'll carry speakers, he'll do laundry, he'll set up cones, he'll do whatever he has to do to stick around at the NFL level. That now he seems to have leapfrogged a guy who was drafted in the first round. It's a lineman. Chris, I mean, what is that? I mean, am I crazy for just falling in love with this guy? Yeah, it is. Why? I mean, you know, if we go back to last year's draft, you know, how much you hated Lano. But see, I loved the Shaq Lawson pick. And we're all. So apparently, whatever I enjoy is shit. And the things that I don't like as far as the draft goes, eh, there might be something there. And then at the same time, former fifth-round pick Matt Milano, who I also panned, early, he was the early starter on weak side linebacker. His workouts kind of got, got off the ground, even with Ramon Humber still being here on the team. Considering where he was drafted and the fact that I was very much down on him, It's surprising to see that they trust him as, hey, we're going to install you as the starter this year. You were a fifth-round draft pick who didn't even get starting time until, what, the Oakland game? And he had a fumble return for a touchdown. And that pretty much locked up the starting job for him. Yeah, but didn't Humber come back and play a couple games as a starter? Because of injury. Well, I didn't think it was. I didn't think it was because of injury. No, it's because of injury. I thought because Milano was a rookie and they didn't want to overload him. Nope. But, you know, hey, but if it's not broke, don't fix it. I mean, I'll say this. It's it's crazy to think that they trust him with that level of responsibility, given that he has just one season of pro experience under his belt. But, hey, who? what do I know? I mean, 
Yeah, you're just a drunk season ticket holder. One could say it's out of necessity, considering that the other options on the roster aren't exactly, you know, overwhelming. They've had options, opportunities at least, to add other options to the roster and decided to spend their free agency dollars and their draft capital on other places. So it's nice to see that draft picks seem to be panning out for a change. I mean, Chris, is that is that far-fetched? Yeah, I don't want to get like too ahead of myself with like somebody like Milano. Late-round pick, had a good uh, rookie season. You know, I remember Carlos Williams having a great rookie oh, season. Oh, Jesus. You know, you don't want to... You had to bring up Carlos Williams. <laughs> it's, the same, it's the same thing. He was a fifth-round pick. You know, you don't want to get ahead of yourself. Milano played great. Now build off of your rookie season. Another one of the things that I noticed was the offensive line rotations are starting to take shape. There were very few positions on the Bills roster that saw the kind of turnover that the offensive line did in the 2017's offseason. The return of Eric Wood, the trade of Cordy Glenn, and then the bizarre loss of Incognito means that in 2018, the Bills will be working with new starters at three of the five offensive line positions. And that number could increase, depending on how camp turns out. You know that meme of the dog sitting in the room that's burning, who's claiming that everything's all right, Chris? Yep. Our, our offensive line situation could very much replicate that. Yeah, I could see that. Obviously, camp is going to dictate who plays where, who's a backup, who does what. But this time of year, it's interesting to see where players are slotted, simply because, generally speaking, the pecking order or a lack thereof, can signal what positions there might be battles coming at. Now, the example I use for this, look at the defensive line. You have Kyle Williams and Star Lodelele. When they were were available, they were the de facto starters in the D-line. I'm going to guess that it's because while Williams probably won't be an every-down starter once the season kicks off, and they're comfortable with him already, they know what Star's going to bring to the table. Thus, they stick them in there every play during this type, this part of the season just to help everyone else kind of get in line, get used to the formations, etc. Looking over the offensive line rotations, you've got Dawkins, Dacos, Miller, and Mills penciled in as four of your potential starting five. I guess things get interesting and sort of indicate that there's a battle to be had when you look at the center position. Russ Bodine, four-year starter. But a quick review of SB Nation's Cincy Jungle blog would give you very quick impressions of the, of the fan base there not really being endeared to Bodine. They were happy to see him go. And there's a reason that the Bengals took Billy Price as highly in the draft as they did this year to replace Bodine. Everyone assumed that they could do better than him. Meanwhile, Groy, Ryan Groy, you know, you've been on the roster. We the, the Rams tried to take him in uh, restricted free agency, and we matched his offer. He's in a contract year. Groy has spent most of his career as a backup, which doesn't make sense to me considering how well he filled in for Eric Wood in the 2016 season when he broke his leg. I guess the fact that they're rotating snaps at center is good news for fans like myself who have been pounding tables calling for him to get a look at that position. Hopefully he doesn't let me down. The other interesting wrinkle to come out of the early portion of team activity involves Marshall Newhouse, 
Newhouse, he's a great Twitter follow. Please go follow him on Twitter because he's fucking hilarious. And he represents a curious place of a player who has played games at multiple positions across the offensive line during his career. He has versatility, and the team has certainly been kind of exploring this. Uh, they've been moving him around. Are you a left tackle, right tackle? Let's see what guard. Let's see what you're good at. But that scares me because it makes me think that they don't have a, a position for him. I thought he was brought here to battle Mills. If he's not being given come training camp serious looks at right tackle, I'm gonna I'm oh I'm gonna drink real hard. I'm gonna cuss a lot because Mills is not an NFL right tackle. Oh uh, yeah, I will not be able to wait for that uh, first preseason game where you just are annihilating people from behind the bar as you usually do every preseason. <laughs> now I'm looking I'm looking forward to an offensive line. I'm looking forward to what Deion Dawkins brings to the table because there's a little nugget of information from the last show. We asked Reed about leaders, and he specifically <laughs> mentioned Dawkins by name. A second-year player on the offensive line, which has seen a bunch of turnover with Incognito, Wood, Cordy Glenn gone. We need a leader on that offensive line, and according to Reed, it seems like uh, Dawkins is taking that role on. So I'm gonna be when we go to tra- I'm sure we'll be at training camp at some point this year. I'll be I'll be looking to see what Dawkins does. Well, and then you look you want to talk about turnover. Young wide receivers are getting opportunities here in Buffalo. That's Why? that's probably one of the most important developments to come out of these pre-training camp workouts. You should be getting looks. <laughs> if you guys don't know what I'm talking about, please head over to our Twitter at Rockpile Report and look for our videos of Drew. Hitting a softball and then running. Listen, I'm flat-footed. Your straight-line speed is ridiculous. I'm flat-footed. I'm fat. But don't make me... In in a short area, I'm dangerous. One of the most important developments to come out of this pre-training camp period was seeing what the pecking order is shaping up to be at the wide receiver position. If you follow Evan Silva... From whatever the fuck blog, Roto Wire bullshit that he comes from. Roto World? Or ESPN's Michael Clay on Twitter, who, in my opinion, looks like Nickelodeon's Doug Funny with Sidney Crosby's shitty facial hair just stapled onto him. You'll already know that people aren't high on our wide receiver core. And to be fair, some of that criticism is warranted. When you look at what we've got, Kelvin Benjamin is a solid size mismatch. He's got a giant catch radius. And he's got good hands. He displayed that the Patriots touchdown that... Got called back. Got called back. Uh, But ultimately, you've got one big guy who is a size mismatch anywhere you put him. No matter who you line him up against, he's going to be a size mismatch and a catch radius mismatch. But outside of him, you really don't have anything that's proven. So you move on down the depth chart. He doesn't have speed. Neither does Zay Jones. Zay Jones was a possession guy in college. He led the NCAA D1 in catches for his career. But at the same time, you weren't breaking long plays down the field. His top end speed is suspect. It it really comes down to... You have two possession receivers 
who you can lob the ball up to and hopefully Zay rebounds because he had a rough rookie year. Oh, yeah, he had a, definitely had a case of the yips. Oh, but couldn't catch anything that hit, hit his chest or his hands. But even if he does rebound, what you have is two possession receivers. They're, they're, you're not going to scare anybody with that. The box is going to get smaller. We all lived through the Ryan Fitzpatrick years. We know what that looks like, and it's not good. The box gets smaller when you don't have anybody who can take the lid off a of defense. What are you talking about? David Nelson could do that. You mean the wide receiver slash tight end slash only played four years of NFL football? That guy? He had that game-winning touchdown against uh, Oakland. Yeah, against Oakland. That was the day that I resigned myself to drunkenly eating 40 orders. 40, Chris. I spent $100 at KFC on popcorn chicken. <laughs> and I put it in a mixing bowl. And I got an array, just an array of sauces and was just drunkenly out on a porch dipping them in various Do things. Do you know whose porch it and, was? Uh, my ex-girlfriend, Brittany's. And screaming about, fuck the bills. And about how terrible they had made my life. After a win. Oh, no. This was halftime. <laughs> this was halftime. <laughs> and then, obviously, they came out and made me look like a horse's ass. But literally, when you look at it, Jeremy Curley is the only other name that you even recognize on this roster. The NFL might recognize at large. He's a barely passable slot wide receiver at this point in his career. So it's an interesting development that with Zay out due to knee surgery, a lot of these younger players are getting opportunities to show off their skill sets, which is good because the coaching staff, normally when you have a log jam, if you have three established starters, these young guys never get a look. They get a look with the, the, the third team, maybe the second team. They never crack the ones. And if they do, it's just kind of to flirt, maybe to push one of the established starters. We're in a position where we don't have any established starters. Every job is up for grabs at this point. But they get to see what Brandon Riley, Malachi Dupree, and Rod Streeter would look like with that first-team offense. And by all accounts, both Dupree and Riley showed really well, which hopefully will be enough to get them some looks with the ones once the pads come on at training camp. Well, if you, I mean, I don't know about you, but right off the bat, I think our quarterback room is way better than it was last year. So just think of... Peterman, McCarron, Allen, and preseason games, they put the ball where Riley and Dupree have a chance to get it. <laughs> yep. Okay, and those guys get it. Then it's going to be like, oh, look what the Bills got here. Malachi Dupree, who knew he could do this? We got a quarterback who can put it in a spot that, hey, go get it. And he's catching them. So now it's going to make our receivers look like they're fucking world beaters. I don't know about that. Let's not get ahead of ourselves, Chris. It's just nice to see. And then, obviously, the impending quarterback battle. Now, you had the intro from Shady talking about he hates rookies. Josh Allen. Outside of our intro, I've established, or I guess during our news break, I've established a rule here on this podcast for the... Yes, that's my... Stop that, doing that. That's, that's my annoying. wedding ring. That's my wedding ring. Tapping on the table. Chris, you like that? No. So... Go home, I'll finish this myself. I've established a rule for the rest of the summer. We will not speak about quarterbacks, specifically about Josh Allen, for more than one minute at any given time. That's it. That is it. We will play some theme music behind it, and that'll be the end. 
because I'm not going to get directed. The radio, WGR, and the rest of the, every other podcast out there can have at it, debating quarterbacks and discussing them. I am not going to do that to myself, and I'm not going to do it to our listeners. What I'll say is this. Well, I was going to tell you next week, not next week, two weeks when we come back with our podcast, uh, it's going to be a, the intro is going to be the full interview, Josh Allen at the U.S. Open. I'd rather die. (laughs) I would rather be dead. No. Oh. That being said, you got to talk about it. There is an, there's a quarterback battle coming. Josh Allen set. Uh, you, know, uh, you see the tweets from Sal Capaccio. You see the tweets from everybody. Josh Allen's rocket arm on display. They don't talk about the misses. They don't talk about the fact that sometimes mechanically he still looks like a rookie. Shady hit the nail on the head with the fact that sometimes you got to know when to quit. you got to know when to do something different. you got to find yourself, man. Come talk to veterans. Let them help you. With that being said, Nathan Peterman, somehow, his name has surfaced as one of the best-looking quarterbacks coming out of these early portion workouts. I am not kidding. Anybody that knows me, you know I love Clay Travis and Outkick the Coverage. They talked about that today with uh, Jason Schwartz, a former offensive lineman. That's a and regular. what did he say? He was like, they were talking about Nathan Peterman legitimately winning the quarterback battle. And in my head, because, you know, I live here, we see the local media, I'm like, this is like a non-story. He's not, Peterman won't beat out McCarron. There's no way I'll put a Seagram's on it. Oh, here we go. I'm even an Alabama fan. I'll take that bet. Woo! There we go. And if Josh Allen is the starter, we both have to drink. I'll agree to that. There we go. So, folks, there is a quarterback battle coming because each one of these guys has this, uh, they're all different different skill sets. You've got the guy who's been in the NFL, who understands the speed of cornerbacks, who understands how safeties move in A.J. McCarron. He's seen it, he's come in, and he's done it. He's almost won a playoff game. If it weren't for the fact that Vontez Perfect is one of the biggest scumbags Skunk on two feet Dirtbag. In, in the country right now. Everybody hates Donald Trump. I hate Vontez Perfect more than I hate anybody else walking around right now on two feet. He's a, he's a piece of shit who literally almost killed Antonio Brown. You, 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 oh, my God. It's incredible. Having said that, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to bring it back in here. Having said that, you've got Peterman, who was drafted for a reason. The, uh, the GM, the coach, they looked at him and they said, that's a quarterback prospect that we think gets the ball out quickly. He's got natural accuracy. His mechanics are sound. He just doesn't have a ton of muscle. And he doesn't have zip on his throws. At, at, at best, his ceiling was purported to be uh, essentially Ryan Fitzpatrick. And then, by all accounts, he disappeared into the mountains, the Himalayas, this offseason, and came down more muscular and throwing the ball with more velocity and more accurately than he ever did before in his career. That's the mark of somebody who's taking what they learned and building off of it. And that's what you want at the quarterback position. And then you've got Josh Allen. Rocket arm. I mean, we asked Reed, what do you think about... I was was at dinner with Reed the one night. I just asked him, hey... One thing that you can tell me that should change my mind about Josh Allen. And he looks at me and says, well, that arm, man, it hums. The way he throws the ball, man, it's, 
It's okay, but I don't need that. What I need is efficient. What I need is efficiency. I need accuracy. Right now, if he can't give that to me, then I don't know. Chris, who's going to be the guy? Dude, if you get on, if you're going to be on the field at training camp this year, like, I just hope that that changes your mind on Josh Allen watching him throw. We're going to keep our eyes open. So that leaves us with the biggest questions we have heading into training camp. Obviously, the wide receiver depth chart behind Zay, uh, Benjamin and Zay is going to be a big one. But one of the most underrated questions heading into training camp for me is, what is our offense going to schematically look like? I mean, for all the bluster about the Bills having one of the worst offenses in the NFL in 2018, fuck you, Evan Silva and Mike Clay. I don't think it's going to happen. I think there's a lot more than some people may realize riding on what Brian Dable brings to the table. If you don't believe me, let me tell you the tale of a team from the West Coast, the 2017 Seattle Seahawks. They too, just like we did, went 9-7, and seven, but missed the playoffs for the first time since 2011. In the wake of this, their offensive coordinator was fired, and there was confusion among, uh, just amongst the fan base and the players, local pundits, the, the entire gamut. Wide receiver Doug Baldwin publicly spoke to the media at the end of the season stating that their problems didn't stem from play calling and that Bevel shouldn't be held responsible for it. But is that really correct? I have a hard time believing it. When you look over the scoring charts, you're going to see one of, in my opinion, the most damning things I've ever seen. And mind you, I've watched a ton of bad offensive football. I was here for the Turk Schoenert era of Buffalo Bills football. This is one of the most egregious things I've ever seen in my life as a football fan. The 2017 Seahawks scored 38 total touchdowns on the season. 34 passing and 4 rushing. And as it turns out, 37 of those 38 touchdowns were scored by Russell Wilson, either on the ground with his legs or with his arms. The rest of the entire roster combined for one singular touchdown. Even worse, Wilson was the only player with more than 250 yards rushing for the entire season. That is a fireable offense. Things have been bad here in Buffalo, but never that bad. A lot of people might point to, oh, wow, they didn't have a top-tier tight end. You know, their, their offensive line was a mess. Even in the Bills' days of Langston Walker, Melvin Fowler, Mike Williams, Duke Preston, the Bills were still able to get more than one friggin' touchdown out of their rushing attack. Chris, what, one touchdown and only one rusher over 500 yards. Who's your quarterback? Dude, calm down. That's not our team. I don't care. It's infuriating to me that there's players and people out there who would defend that type of thing. These sound like the same people who didn't think that our previous offensive coordinator needed to be fired. Those sound like people that uh, defend Tyrod Taylor. Thank you! I, people will make excuses for things that analytically don't make sense. What are you talking about? I love a quarterback that throws for 125 yards in a game. So now the question is, Dable has a track record of strong rushing attacks on some very bad teams. 
You can go to almost any sports blog and read about the various rushing schemes and tactics that he employs, so I'm not going to waste your time with it. But the real question is, how is he going to approach the passing game? If you remember, we announced from his hiring, his previous NFL offenses all featured dismal passing attacks. He also had no talent to work with at the quarterback position. But the second half of Alabama's most recent title win, in that, they changed quarterbacks from a running quarterback to a passing quarterback. Let me, I'm gonna add and it was seamless. It was a seamless transition. He had a solid attack crafted that fueled their come-from-behind win. I, I, what, I mean, because I, I don't follow Alabama because I'm not a moron. What's, what's to his accuracy? Is he an accurate quarterback? He's an accurate quarterback. Okay, minus the accuracy – because his other trait is he's got a strong arm. Yeah. So when I watched that happen, Dayball switch quarterbacks going with Tua, and they're throwing the ball all over the field, and then I see that he go he leaves Alabama and he comes here. I see that we draft Josh Allen, also a strong arm. In my mind, I don't know if it's if I don't know if that's stupid of me, but in my mind I see if Dayball can do with Josh Allen, what he had done with Tua in that title game. Because they were throwing the ball over the goddamn field. And that's what it comes down to. That's going to be the big question of this season. On an offensive, if people want to talk about, oh, can our line block, can this happen, can that happen? It starts with the planning. It starts with the approach to the game and what the play calling is going to be. That's going to be the biggest question. Whether or not Dable has learned enough on his climb, you know, because he was an offensive coordinator before, and he got kicked way back down the ladder. Like a game of shoots and ladders, pretty much. Found himself all the way back at square seven. Anybody else who's ever found themselves there? You know that one really long slide and shoots and ladders? Yeah, he hit that. And he has found a way to claw his way back to offensive coordinator of an NFL team. So the question is going to be, what has he learned during that climb? Has he figured out how to craft not only a good rushing attack, which Alabama has always had, can he craft a great passing attack? What new wrinkles can he bring to the game? What formations is he going to employ? You know, what are his favorite things that he's going to lean on? Every offensive coordinator has them. Does he prefer two back sets? Or does he trust DeMarco not to have brain farts, like that touchdown for an interception that he just trampolined volleyball style off his hands to the defensive back in that Chargers game. And will he use DeMarco as a viable part of the passing attack? Because I feel like that could pay a lot of dividends. The acclimation of Dable to the offense here in Buffalo has, in my opinion, been one of the most grossly understated parts of our offseason. And it's something that I know I'm going to be keeping an eye on the second training camp starts. Yeah, and also, I I think every quarterback that's on our roster right now is better than every quarterback he's had at the NFL level. Well, and that you, you Including hope. Peterman. I'll take Peterman over Brady Quinn twice. <laughs> One of the other things, how will draft picks fare? When you look at what the Bills had to do this offseason, they had holes. I mean, yeah, we made the playoffs. And for what it's worth, we held a team that scored over 40 points against the Steelers to 10 points. Our defense did their job. With limited cap space, we couldn't go out and make a ton of moves in free agency to fix some of the obvious holes around the roster. 
So with that, our rookies are going to likely be looked at to fill some of these holes and take on some extra responsibility. Edmonds is going to have to step in and show that he can carry the load in terms of play calling, in terms of identification of assignments at the NFL level. I don't know that he's there yet. It's going to be interesting to see if Teron Johnson can fight out uh, underwhelming veteran Philip Gaines for the cornerback slot. Saran Neal, one of the more unheralded picks of the 2018 draft that I feel like we haven't even talked about. He's going to have to carve out a niche for himself. I mean, he's a player who projects as an in-the-box safety. He's not going to protect the deep quarters of the field. He's going to be in the box, but that gives you some flexibility considering the fact that we're a team that doesn't have... We were at our most effective last season playing nickel defense. And we don't have a lot of depth behind Edmonds and Milano. At linebackers who can come down in the box, fill gaps, play the run, and also sort of protect the pass. Salon Neal is going to have to kind of carve out a, a niche for himself here. And it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. And then, which one of our late-picked wide receivers is going to stick to this roster? The depth chart at that position is so unsettled that there, this is a rare opportunity for young guys to step in and see not just significant snaps, but have a legitimate spot on the final 53 if they just step up and take, take the bull by the horns. It's crazy. And then I guess I'm obligated to say it. Can Josh Allen continue cleaning up and ironing out his mechanical issues? I mean, Chris, that's been the thing. Yeah, because he had fucking all-star receivers at Wyoming. He was maligned across the board for having a low percentage low completion percentage in college. If he can iron out the mechanical issues that led to that, with his cannon for an arm, he might be the next Carson Wentz. Or he could be Kyle Bowler 2.0. No, he's not Kyle Bowler. I mean, it's going to fall somewhere in between, and it'll be interesting to see that process play out. Now, talking about seeing how things pan out. See how I segue people? God! I love it. Wow. Chris has something for us tonight. Yeah, we did it last year. Uh, I played a bunch of old clips for Drew, and it says, who were you talking about? Kind of celebrates our anniversary as as a podcast. So this year we're going to do it a a little bit differently than we did last year. Last year I just played a bunch of clips, and it's, who are you talking about? Did you get it right? Did you get it wrong? We have shot glasses here on the kitchen table. I've got my Beer Union shot glass. Drew has a uh, Buffalo Bandits shot glass. And what we're going to do, just like a seven-game series, I've got seven clips of Drew. Drew has to guess at who he is talking about. If he gets it right, i got to take a shot of Seagram's. If you get it wrong, you have to take a shot of Seagram's. <laughs> so we got seven clips. It's like a seven-game series. And uh, unless someone, unless you sweep... Then you uh, do four shots and then finish the bottle. Oh, if it Jesus. goes, if it goes uh, more than uh, four clips, then uh, you got to do the uh, shots and then finish the bottle and then finish a whole bottle of Seagram. Folks, we're going to entitle this segment "Who Was Drew Ranting About?" Part two: The Smack Talk Strikes Back. All right, now I, I will put forth one thing with some of these clips. It'll just sound like the audio cut out. That's because you. You or I said said the name, so I had to cut it out. So just that 
to start with, and we're going to play our first clip. Even got half a sack. Everyone out there is going, who? We picked him up. What, did we trade for him? In the uh, off- Green, yeah, we traded Green a seventh-round pick for Green Bay for that guy. Who are you talking about? Laurenti McCray! <laughs> Bang! Who knows his football? Jeez, now, now I have to do a... Take that, you son of a bitch! Oh, uh, you thought you were cute coming now, up with this. Yeah, now I'm going to do a shot of uh, Seagram's. You're making me happy. And uh, then we'll, we'll move on to the uh, next clip. But then who else goes? Now, we just signed an offensive tackle. Named- I would cut him. See, but he's Henderson played comes for, back. But he's played for our current offensive line coach, Aaron Cromer, before. Cromer had him starting games for him, and Cromer likes his upside from everything that I've read. Jordan Mill. Oh, dick. Who was yeah. it? Yeah. Who was it? Drink that. Michael Ola. Oh, my God, Michael Ola. The, Michael the sleeping behind a dumpster Ola. Damn it. <laughs> now, yeah, it's 1-1, one, one, so somebody's going to have to finish this bottle of uh, Seagram's. All right. All right, uh, next one. We're going to switch it up a little bit. Uh, this is a journalist, and I will put the caveat, it is not a local journalist. Oh, boy. I don't listen to that ass clown. He doesn't know anything. He's got a lot of connections within the national media, and he would know more about it than I get, than somebody locally. Okay, but uh, you know what? He's written too many pieces for you know different publications that just reek of like shock journalism. I can't take him seriously. Who are you talking about? Oh my god, I don't even know. Why do I? Why do I try to? Why do I bash so many people? Guys, is this a trend? Is this like a thing of the... It's nothing new. Why do you think you deserve 2,000 nickels Chris, for your wedding? Chris, is this who I am as a person off air? Yeah. You're an <laughs> asshole. I don't know. I, you said it's nobody local? Yes. They're, they're, they're local for a another team, but they could also be looked at as a national writer. Doug Barry. <laughs> uh... I think it's the New York Daily Post, Manish Mehta. Oh, that scumbag. <laughs> it was about the Sammy Watkins, Sammy Watkins injury. Which injury? I don't know. Which injury? No one, no one will ever know. All right, what's up, what's up next on the dock? And i got to get back in this series. I know. I'm up two to one. Uh, all right, next one that we will play. Here we go. He's acquitted himself well ever since putting on a Bills jersey. And he's been something of a surprise for the offense, which has been starving for a guy who can go out and make a deep catch. He's got two touchdowns in two games. And I've got to say, he's exceeded any of my expectations so far, especially after being called out by Rex during the week for having suspect hands. Who are you talking about? You, I mean, I should tell, if you want to hear it again, I can play it again. Justin Hunter. Yes! Oh, suck it, Chris. Oh, you are a fool. I think I'd forget that. I had to do a cartwheel because that dude scored a touchdown. And I failed hilariously. Yeah, you had to do you had to do it twice. <laughs> Alright, we're tied at we're tied at two. You got Laurenti McCray right and Justin Hunter. Well you missed on uh, Michael Ola and Manish um, Manish Meta. Alright, uh going to a player here. No, no, that's the thing. There was nobody. I mean, when you get so desperate that you're reaching out to guys who had retired just to see if they want to come back and play, you know your season's going in the wrong direction. 
This is from that sweet episode we did when I went to Kentucky, and I had you on Skype. It sounded like I was in a fishbowl. Yeah, because you Play were... Play that again. No, no, that's the thing. There was nobody. I mean, when you get so desperate that you're reaching out to guys who had retired just to see if they want to come back and play, you know your season's going in the wrong direction. Who are you talking about? Oh, my God. You got, so, you got decent information there. I know. Retired, but I think we've reached out to a ton of retired guys. I'm pretty sure that if, uh, oh, my God, offensive lineman uh, Gremlin fucking... Uh, why don't you move up to a microphone and say your <laughs> say your answer? Now we should. T- I don't even think we've mentioned this. Is all from Rex Ryan's last season. I know is what this is. All of this stuff is from because that's when we started. Was when Rex was Rex's coach. first season. We're technically that's yeah. how long we've been around. Yeah. Three years up top, Chris. All right, this had to be about the fact that we reached out to. I'm going to say a wide receiver, and I'm going to say it was Jerry Rice. How drunk are you? How drunk are you? I, I, I could have said pass, but I, I, I never oh. leave the – never. it's like on a test in high school. You never leave the form blank. Yeah. Jerry Rice. A better response would have been Percy Harvin. Oh, Percy Harvin. God damn it. <laughs> All right, we got, we got two left. I think uh, – You've had to take three shots, so it's three. It's three to two. So this this could be the count is full. Yes. So you need to get this right to force the seven. I don't know. He's he's got the luck of the devil, man. Did he even play on Sunday? I think he did. I I, I feel like I remember him taking a snap. I don't know why though. <laughs> I mean, it obviously wasn't anything great. Otherwise, I would have committed it to memory. But you would have blown up about it. Oh, I probably would have screamed at the TV and thrown my beer. I mean, <laughs> thrown a chair. Oh, that happened. Who are you talking about? I don't know. I throw chairs all the time. I blow up constantly. Here. I don't know. He's He's got the luck of the devil, man. Did he even play on Sunday? I think he did. I, I, I feel like I remember him taking a snap. I don't know why, though. I mean, it obviously wasn't anything great. Otherwise, I would have committed it to memory. But you would have blown up about it. Oh, I probably would have screamed at the TV and thrown my beer. I mean, thrown a Reggie chair. Reggie Bush. Oh, that happened. Yes! <laughs> we forced a game seven, ladies and gentlemen. That's how we do things here on this podcast. <laughs> I, I had to I think. Believe, back, I, had I can't to, believe you got that. Had to dig deep. Think about one of the only players who didn't regularly see snaps, and when they did, it just infuriated me. And Reggie Bush just came to the forefront of my mind. It was amazing. That is exactly who you're talking about, Reggie Bush. All right, last one is a is a announcer. You said this about somebody announcing the Bills game. I understand unbiased. You know what I don't understand? is a guy who sounds like he's been taking Valium during the entire game. And he bounces the run to the outside, and it's a touchdown. I'm sorry. You know what? I'd rather watch. I've heard tennis announcers with more enthusiasm. Okay, what national announcers are enthusiastic? And begin. Spiro Didis and Ian Eagle. 
That's because you f- love Spiro <laughs> Spiro! O- only because his name is Spiro <gasps> Oh, folks. I mean, those those clips, it, it's painful to try to rewatch that game. after the, after the Once you've watched it once, to try to watch it again, and to hear how little enthusiasm that th- those announcers have for their jobs. Chris, how long have they been in the NFL? Like, how long have they been calling NFL games? No, since 94. Okay, so maybe it's time someone takes him out back and puts him down like old Yeller. Because you know what? I, <laughs> oh, if I got to listen to any more of that, I, it's going to put me to sleep. You know who you're talking about? I don't know, but that's a hot take. That's a hot old Yeller. Like he's not been on Valium. <laughs> any idea what announcer you were talking about? It wasn't Bucker Aikman. It wasn't obviously Madden. It wasn't Sunday Night Football. It had to be a Bills game, which means it's only at one o'clock. I'm going to say Fouts. Oh no! What was it? Uh, as you had put it in that clip, but I, I uh, took the clip. I took that section out. Tom Brenneman. Oh. Tom Brenneman, Fox Sports. Brenneman. Tom Brenneman. Damn you. T H O M. Tom Brenneman. We have an H in your name, and it's Tom. What an asshole. Oh, my God. I hope that guy trips down the stairs carrying a full carafe of coffee just all (laughs) over himself. Fresh, hot out of the pipes. Finish that shot, and then you're going to have to do a whole Seagram's. I'm going to set up the tripod. We'll do it on on camera because that's what the people want, our anniversary. Listen here. Celebrating three, three years. Complete as a podcast. Guys, before we go, Thom Brenneman. Yeah, that's right. Thom, you asshole. I'll see you in hell. Guys, everyone else everyone else listening to the show, thank you so much for supporting us, for constantly coming out, downloading our stuff, and just for, I don't know, like I said, positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, all of it. It's all helpful. I love each and every one of you guys. You've all contributed in some way, shape, or form to the way our podcast is today and where we currently sit. It's uh, incredible. Uh, me finding uh, Labatt Blue Grapefruit at Tops because uh, you said, I think this is going to taste like a Seagram's, parlayed into what we just did, taking shots of Seagram's and all of our bets being based around <laughs> Seagram's. We have a huge thanks. I guess we got to send to Seagram's. Thank you for making these terrible we, fucking wine coolers. Yeah, can we do that? Can we send a twelve pack of Seagram's to Seagram's? That would be. Let's let's investigate. That. We should do that. We should. I'll go to consumers and get a twelve pack of Seagram's, and we'll box it up and mail it to Seagram's. Hilarious. Guys, thank you so much for showing up tonight. Make sure you follow us at Rockpile Report on Twitter. Go review us on iTunes. Uh, like I said, whatever star you feel. We're four and a half stars right now. Yeah. Come troll us on Twitter. <laughs> I, I don't give a shit. Uh, give us a review. Follow us on Twitter. Let us know what you think of the show. Interact with us. We love it. At Rockpile Report on Twitter. Uh, I guess, Chris, do you want to send us out? On We're on to year four. He's Drew Gear. I'm Chris Krueger. And this is for the Rock Pop Report. <laughs>